o'clock hour here on the Saturday show. Adrian Leiser, Jake Catch, Alex Lundenberg. Follow us on Twitter at AP Leiser. That's L E I S E R. At Jacob C. Hatch and at 24-7 Lundy. If you uh, want to get get Alex a follow there as well. Uh, we're having a great time here. It's a hot Saturday, so appreciate you all listening along with us. It is warm outside, that's for sure. Like real warm. It's supposed to be 100 degrees today, which I I know you. You've said, hey, I'll drink a latte in the pit of hell if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I've never said that, but I'm going to go with it. That's my new one. <laughs> I usually stay on the surface of the sun, <laughs> but regardless, I just I like the pit it, of hell. it gets above like ninety five, and I'm like, yeah, I'm done with this. It's not. You my know, I jam. haven't turned my air conditioner on this year. Well, okay, it helps when you live in like a basement bunker. I do live underground. <laughs> it's not a basement, but it's an underground apartment. So the only the only plus to where I live is the fact that my utilities are minimal. The place where I used to live with my wife, our first home we bought together was similar to yours. It was half buried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, utilities were dirt cheap. Yeah. It was great. And now I live All in a, you surface dwellers as I call you. And now I now I live in a, a townhouse that faces the sun and it's just like, "Oh my goodness." Just insane. That's funny. Yeah, so uh I'm almost cold in my. No, just kidding. I'm not. Okay. Um, let's hear, let you hear now from Mark Harlan, who was on for an entire hour with DJ and PK. We're not going to play the whole hour. Yeah, go obviously. to 1280thezone.com. You can catch all three segments back to back to back. It's right there on the homepage. Yeah, you can. Uh, Jake put those right up there. So if you want to get the whole, uh, he answered a lot of questions throughout the hour. But we're going to let you hear from one segment, and uh, here is Mark with uh, DJ and PK on Friday. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mark Harlan is here. We invited questions on Twitter. We've gotten a gazillion of them. Many of them relate to football scheduling. You're a trained professional, so I can do this, because PK will tell people, don't ask two questions at once. They only ask one, and then they move on. They never answer the other one. But these questions go kind of into two categories here. Future schedules with P5 schools, obviously you just did the Arkansas deal. Right. And as you add P5 schools, then people want to know, well, what does that mean for playing BYU? Because famously when Michigan signed the two-year deal with Utah, there were two years where the game wasn't scheduled, although they met in the bowl game, one of those two. So I guess first, the the future P5 schedules, and then what does that mean for the BYU series? Well, we we really do want to continue to reach out to to top-tier P5 schools, um, you know, in the Arkansas situation, I thought it would be really fun if we could get an SEC opponent in here. And as you guys know in your business, it's the same with us. It's a relationship business, and the AD there and I are very good friends. He was the AD at Houston when I was at South Florida, and we kind of joked about it, and then it kind of came together. Um, and, and and so we're continuing to, to do that. I, I've stated my intention. We're going to continue to play BYU. Um, I, I, I've said that from the very beginning. I thought the game that I attended last year was was electric, um, and I believe the one coming up has all the potential to be uh, electric. So we're going to continue to do that. Now, you know, if there's a situation where another P5 comes forward and and you know we, we need to look at it for for the good of the Utes, then I'll call Tom as as home down there and and we'll t- we'll chat it through. But um, that's our intention is to continue play to play BYU. So when you say another P5, that would be in addition to an already scheduled P5? Yeah, I mean, this gets into the so ABC thing. And, and you know, I, I just think, you know, again, I laugh. This is so far out, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. as I look at the data right now from the CFP, I think they're screaming the committee uh-huh. to, to suggest these are the things that you need to do to, to get in there. Now, you could argue you, you play BYU, you don't play another P5 
P5, and with the nine conference games, you go undefeated, you're in. And I think there's probably an argument that says you are, but I say probably because I'm not sure. So as I see it, my friends on the committee I've talked to, the data that we're getting, I think we got to be really, really good about making sure that, that uh, you know, we, we add that right now, as I see that Arkansas game, I see us playing BYU at that time too, as I sit here today, rather than saying, hey, let's, let's, let's move. But I think the BYU contract goes out to 24, if yeah. I recall. Yeah. And so we'll make some decisions going forward. But I think it was my son who said this weekend, or maybe it was my daughter, I can't remember. He's like, do you realize that people that will play in that game are in like third grade right now, yeah. that Arkansas game? Yeah, yeah. So it just goes to show how far out things are, and we just got to make sure we're on top of what that committee's doing because we've got to be strategic in all that we do. How does the uh – do people view BYU, though? Because we view it as somewhat of a P5, even though technically it's not. And if you get in that situation, I would think, man, if you went undefeated and beat a P5 and beat the Cougars, I would be screaming somewhere if Utah or whoever it is in the Pac-12 is not not only in the playoff, but better not be seated fourth. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and as, as we know, most conferences, ours included, count, count BYU as a P5, which makes a lot of sense. I think the uh, SEC is a good example where they have to play a P5 in their non-conference, and BYU is, is a counter for that. So the nation knows their program and, and understands that. I, you know, so you could argue, well, that is your P5. I, I just, again, going back to, to what I said earlier, I, I think that we, if we can add you know, two P5s and also BYU in a year, I think we shouldn't just dismiss it. I think we need to contemplate it and think through it. Because the margin of error thing comes to mind, too. Right. It seems like other conferences get a little margin of error. It does not appear that our conference gets a lot, get a lot of oh, margin no of error. Oh, no question. So we need, to, yeah. we need to consider that as well. Yeah, the SEC gets a mulligan. You're 11-1. You Thank didn't you. win your conference. You're in. And an 11-1 conference champion in a Pac-12 is at risk. The other thing that seems clear is if you're undefeated, you're, an undefeated Power 5 team is in. They haven't left one out yet, and I can't imagine they're going to. But a two-loss team has no shot of getting in, no matter how tough their schedule is. There's no bonus points like, man, you really lined up a killer schedule. Maybe in your conference, you know, you got dealt a tough hand, so we're going to give you a break. Said no committee ever so far. I mean, it's only five years. It's not a huge sample well, size. that's the other thing. You're right. It's only you been got, five years. Yeah, that's but you right. gotta, you got to set up a schedule that wins a tiebreaker at 11-1, but you can't give yourself a schedule that doesn't give you a chance to get to 11-1. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think you, you have to look at all those things. And, and then what's the implication of going to eight, which I think if you read the tea leaves, you, you see that. I mean, I'm, I, I'm just reading like everyone else is, and, and it just seems like that's going to happen in the next deal. And that happens do you scale back you know i mean mm-hmm. all of these things have to to come forward but but we're just going to continue to look for p5s and and where it makes sense and and uh and march forward i've been down in los angeles for every pac-12 media day and i've been to all that stuff before when i worked at other papers and i think that in my impression this year i felt like commissioner larry scott was more humbled on the stuff that's been going on and is more open to acknowledging weaknesses and more open to making change. Could you address that? Am I speaking accurately in your opinion? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I, I think that it's been a tough year, right? I mean, not to have the understatement of the century, but it, it was a tough year. I think the defining moment for the conference occurred in October in the Coliseum um, for a play that remains to be, you know, remains embarrassing for all of us associated with the league. And 
And I think beginning that night when we all got briefed before the Yahoo article uh, came out, I think there was a collective agreement with Larry on the phone and the ADs is this has to stop and we have to work better together. We have to be more transparent, bring the practitioners back into the room. Let's let's work on this together. And that really, I mean, it was tough, but out of crisis comes comes, you know, some quality work that you can do. And, you know, he's been really good. Uh, he's been really good about um, looking at everything that needs to be rethought. Um, and he's been very transparent. He calls me quite often uh, to get input. He calls others quite often. Um, and everything so far this year that he's talked about doing, he's done. I look at the officiating review, uh, allowing Ray Anderson at your favorite school, Arizona yeah, State, yeah, yeah. to to he's an expert. I mean, heck, he ran the officiating program in the NFL. Why wouldn't Larry want Ray to run this program? And that's what Ray's done, and he delivered a great product, and, and we're going to get better because of it. The, the research into a, a possible investor in the conference, you know, I mean, again, it goes back to talking about the 9 a.m. games. I don't know if it's a good idea to have an investor come in and infuse money and then be a partner with us, but why wouldn't we explore it? And so he's led all those efforts. So we got a lot of work to do. We have to play better in football and basketball. We need to do those things. We have to look at ourselves. But he's certainly the, the conference, not just he, but the conference, it's, it's more collaborative than I can ever remember, including when I was, you know, was, was at UCLA. I do not understand the difference between bringing in an investor and just partnering with Fox or ESPN from the get-go. Well, I mean, that's a question that you go back to 2010, 2011, and, you know, revisionist history uh, would suggest that perhaps we should have, you know, taken the network and gone, gone with ESPN. But, you know, when you got that, you know, billion, multi-billion dollar deal, um, it just, at the time, and I, I was in the room as the number two at UCLA when we were looking at all the data, like, let's hold on to the network. Let's... Let's see what we can do. We wanted to produce all these Olympic events, and you know, two, three, four months later, SEC comes in higher and Big Ten comes in higher, which you know we should have we should have we should have projected that, right? I mean, I think that's the mistake. Directv not playing playing ball, not able to 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 come in and, and join us. Those were all fatalistic things that really hurt. So I you know I think going forward we're in a great place now because you know we do own it. Um, but bringing an investor now, seeing if it's a major company that's a strategic partner, help bridge the gap for the next four years, does that make sense? And those are the things we're looking into. So you use the word fatalistic, and the root word there is fatal, which means dead. I know. Well, at <laughs> times it does. I mean, it, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm at a, a, a sports restaurant or what have you, and I can't watch you know, my basketball team play when I'm in San Diego, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm upset. It, I'm it, pissed. It, I'm, I'm pissed. All right. <laughs> Thank you. And, I, and it's tough. And, I, and, you know, and we all feel that way. I mean, I was at the Holiday Bowl, and we're playing Nevada here, and I can't watch the game. And, and it's frustrating. Of course, the league says, well, Mark, it's on your iPad. Well, you know, I didn't have my iPad. No, I, I got was, you. I was in a restaurant. So, yeah. you know, we share that pain, and, and we want it fixed. But, the, but we all agreed to it. What we wanted to do, Utah included, UCLA, everybody else, what we wanted to do, and we have to live through this contract. But what we know is we got to fix it. We have to get our distribution wider. I think there's things that are going on right now that are helping us with that, but we have to get that fixed. It's been great for Olympic sports. Yeah. Let's say this. It has been off the charts for our Olympic sports program. But one does have to question with football and basketball, has it you know, has it really pulled us back from the national eye? Oh, and plus, there was a thing uh, a couple years ago, youth basketball, and I'm sure we'll get to youth basketball here in a second, but the uh, Utah has a bye down in Vegas, so they're playing Thursday. Well, the winner of the Wednesday game is going to play the Utes, 
I'm down in Vegas, so I've got no problem. I'm watching the game live. But I'm hearing from people back here saying, I can't watch the game to see who they're going to play. Right. It may make any sense. Well, that's right. And, and I do know, uh, again, what I do appreciate, Mark Shukin has taken over the, the league uh, network. He's done a great job in a year and a half, and he really are pushing out more distribution. I mean, I, we have some improvement. The Apple relationship lately will help. But, again, when you're sitting up there and you can't see it at a restaurant, which, of course, DirecTV kind of owns that market, although they're struggling. But, you know, these are the things that we're collectively working on together. It's not just happening in San Francisco. We're working on all of it together, and I think that's the key. Am I, if you talk to the SEC and colleagues that I have there, you know, they say this collaborative effort has led them to where they are. That's where we are now with Larry, and now we just have to, to, to hold ourselves, he hold us, us hold him accountable, and uh, I think we can fix all these things. So when we invited questions, Mark Harlan, Utah AD, we got swamped by Utah basketball fans. Three NCAA bids in 14 years. That's three different head coaches in that span. One Sweet 16, and Larry's the one who got him there in the last 14 years. But for people who wrote it for a program, went to the Final Four in the 40s, twice in the 60s, again in the 90s. I can't even count the Sweet 16s. There's probably 20 of them. I think there was an expectation like, man, you're taking our program and now we get the Pac-12 brand. Woohoo! This yeah. is going to be awesome. Yeah. And instead, it's gone the other way. Yeah. So I guess for starters, why have so many kids transferred? Well, you know, each kid has a story of which I'm involved in each one of them. And, of course, not allowed to, to talk about those things based on, well, it's just the right reason not to talk about private conversations. But each one has a story um, ranging from makes a lot of sense to not a lot of sense, you know, just from where I sit. Um, I'm not immune to the fact that uh, it is an epidemic in college basketball. I think Gordon's article this morning was accurate when it talked about, I think, 20% or something on annual 19, but overall in the career of a men's college basketball player, about 48% will, will, will transfer during the course of their career. I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about that. So it's hit Utah. Um, and I think, you know, what, what Larry and I talk about is just making sure that, uh, you know, as, as great a teacher he is, and he's unbelievable. I, I really think he, he, everyone that comes in, I believe strongly, and I've seen it from afar and now up close, he gets them better. And, you know, but we also have to make sure that we have the deep relationships with kids. And I believe he tries to do that. I think he's, he's uh, made some moves to help in that, in that regard. Um, and so we're just going to continue to move forward. We'll benefit from transfers coming in, and we'll, we'll in, in some, not all, but in some cases, you know, hurt from those kids that uh, leave. Cedric Barefield was a big player for us last year, and he came into us. So, listen, Larry, does, Larry doesn't want it. I don't want it. Our fans don't want it. But we're, we're looking at it and just making sure that, um, you know, the kids are as, as, as comfortable and happy as they can be. So each case is individual for sure. And you don't have to go into particulars, but generally speaking, there's going to be some kids, no matter what you do, that are going to leave. So there's nothing you can do there, right? I'm wondering, as you evaluate these situations, because there's no question it's really hurt the program. This last one with Tillman it was looking like he was developing, and you can see the improvement. There's no question. And he, was going to have been a, he would have been a, a very nice player for the Utes in the next couple of years, but now he's gone. Is it more of an external problem that you can't control or more of an internal problem that you can do some things to make it better so it's at least not happening to the number? And it's one thing to have a – I don't want to say it's demeaning, but a, you know, a sub versus – basically you had two 
projected starters for this next season that are choosing to leave? Yeah. Well, again, it's hard to, to, to collectively answer that because as I go through and run through in my mind, you know, each, each one's a little bit different. Um, playing time, you know, family, family relationship issues. Right, but do you guys need to clean up anything? Well, of course, you, you you can get better in everything you do. You know, I mean, I, I think we have we have to, and I say we, and it's not just Larry; it's the departments, the athletic department. You know, any kid that transfers, you know, we get unpublicized kids that transfer, in, in Olympic sports, you know, I always say, could we have done something different? Could we have provided a better experience, et cetera, et cetera? So I think it's a collective effort. Um, but you know, any place I've been, this has been a topic. Men's basketball players transferring. It's it's UCLA, South Florida, and now Utah. So, you know, I, I do recognize that it's part of the beast right now, and and coaches have to be able to manage that. Uh, kids now, they they you know, again, I'm not trying to disparage any of our kids because, like I said, everyone's got different reasons. But with the transfer portal being as accessible as it sure. is and as easy as it is, if stuff gets hard. Out the door, you know, and your name goes in there. You're going to get some calls, and that gets you pretty excited, okay? But again, I don't want to sound like for some kids, transferring is the right thing for them to do, and I do believe we should make it as transparent and easy. They're kids, but listen, we're looking at it. Um, I'm really excited about the group that's here. Some really neat kids. They, they change the rules, as you guys probably know. They can practice a bunch in the summer, so I've gone to some practices. They've been crisp. They've been clear. Very young, and you know, like college basketball, we're very young. So specifically, I've heard that there was a lack of balance between good cop and bad cop. For people who don't know, all the best basketball programs run the good cop basketball cop amongst the basketball staff really well. In PK's day covering Rick, Rick was enough of a bad cop, and I'm not trying to be funny, although it comes off funny, but Juddy and Donnie Daniels together were the good cop to balance, and they got bad balance and it worked. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they won a lot. Does bringing Donnie back maybe bring that element back? It He was kind of a – I mean, he was like – I heard at Gonzaga they had plenty of bad cop, and he was like almost like the horse whisperer or something. He, yeah. he really was a good cop. Do you think he brings that to the program? And it will not stop, but at least slow down some of the transfers. Well, or is that overplayed? He's a pro's pro. I mean, you know, he had just left UCLA when I got there, and – you know, everybody was talking about his departure really affecting the UCLA program at the time, and and because he's just he's just really good at what he does. He's a great person. His connections are deep, and he and he does develop deep relationships. And I think at the end of the season, that's what Larry and I talked about. We're like, you know, what do you need? Uh, how do we keep going forward? How do we how do we get better? All those things. And he brought up, you know, Mark, I'd like to have this position. I, I've got Donnie in mind. You know, he was getting ready to retire and. And he felt like he could he could pull him over the line, and I said, "Let's go," you know. Um, and I knew why he was doing it. I think relationships, I think contacts, and and you know, just having Donnie around. I mean, just having Donnie around right now is is great. He goes, he's not allowed to coach, but he's able to watch practice. He's able to be around the kids, and I think that's going to be terrific for us. Um, I, I think that's the kind of uh, of of thought process that Larry's going through to make sure that we continue to get better. Mark Harlan, Utah AD, is going to give us one final short segment. So stick around on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. There you go. Mark Harlan. And like I said, we, we talked about it earlier in the show, Adrian. I appreciated his ability to just kind of be very straightforward about things. He didn't, he met things head on. He said he talked about the transfer stuff. He says, I've talked to, I've, I've talked to Larry and we're trying to fix it and whatnot. And the basketball program is an interesting situation there because. 
Larry continually has guys leave, entering the transfer portal. It's, it's just yeah. an evolving door. But if he's truly serious about fixing this situation, great. I'm just not sure that it's going to be able to have the the length of time maybe to necessarily fix it while Larry has the job. Yeah, I'm not – it's 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 interesting. Gordon wrote his column about it this week as well, mm-hmm. and it is a strange amount of guys. Yeah, it is. And I don't know what it is up there. Is it unique to Utah, but we just – or is it unique – or is it not unique? And we just notice it because we cover that team so much. Maybe. maybe, but yeah, uh, that number I, he said some forty something percent of kids transfer in their time at a university. That's crazy. Yeah, the col- college basketball as a whole has an issue, yeah. but here locally, yeah. the U has had a very abnormal amount. Uh, he also right. talked about the Pac-12 network mm-hmm. stuff, and uh, he admitted that maybe there were some wrongs done back uh, along the way. Um, Obviously, with like certain networks not playing ball as well, that hurt things. And uh, he seemed like he was very passionate about the fact that he couldn't get to watch every single game of, that he wanted. Admitted that it's great for Olympic sports, but yeah, are is that really what you know makes a lot of makes you the most money as a network? And yeah, no, the answer. And he said that they they have to deal with the contract as be, but he said yep. we need to fix it when we have that opportunity to do so. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully the risk they took, if you're the Pac-12, pays off. And maybe you thought it was going to take a shorter amount of time, but as of now, it's not working. But maybe mm-hmm. it'll pay off, and it just took a lot longer than you thought it might. Yeah, we'll see. But there's something that needs to be done, plain yeah. and simple. I think yeah. we all agree on that. So if you uh, missed any of that, uh, he had a lot of interesting things to say as far as you know, early kick times, um, football, the Pac-12 scheduling with the Arkansas uh, home and home, uh, which will be in it feels like decades. I don't know, but 2026 uh, <laughs> and 2028, which is not that far away, I guess. But um, seems like it though. Seems like <laughs> it. You know, it's like when there's a BYU scheduled Virginia Tech. In 2030? Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's... It's these crazy. schedules are so far out in advance. My daughter will be a teenager when that game comes about. Think about that. Yeah, what are you going to be doing then? Pulling my hair out. Yeah. <laughs> you might not have any by then. Yeah, who you knows? know, you'll yeah. have pulled it all out through her adolescence. Maybe so. Uh, so scheduling is always interesting, but he talked about BYU and how he wants to keep it on the schedule, and it's a lot of great stuff. So head over to dot com to uh, get... All of that if you missed any of it. All right, coming up on the other side, more next here on the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back if you can hear us. If you are, send us a message. <laughs> if you are, it's on. If you the, can hear us out there, <laughs> it's on the stream. We appreciate all our streams. <laughs> We're having some issues with the signal, so any of you that may or may not be listening that are wondering about that, we are working on it. Yes, we are. Our engineering teams are on it. Sounds like there's a bit of a power blip downtown right now. So. Yeah. So, just be aware. But we'll keep going. Absolutely. All right. Um, you you found some uh, college football superlatives that you wanted to get to. Yes, yeah, some superlatives for the 2019 season. This comes from Chris Lowe. ESPN senior staff writer covering college football over there. Chris does a great job. Uh, and so superlatives are kind of these statements that are just out there. So like, let's say 
the easiest schedule, mm-hmm. the best unit of this t- of the most likely to succeed. Yes, all that different. Most stuff. likely to keep the best hair. Sure, yeah, most stuff fun. like that. Superlatives, and you different from college football. And there's one that has a local connection that we'll get to. Or do I start off with? Should we start with the locals? Sure. Okay. Well, according to Chris Lowe, the most interesting schedule in the country this year belongs to the BYU Cougars. It is interesting. He says, quote, as an FBS independent, scheduling can be tricky for BYU, but the Cougars should be in for a wild ride one way or the other in 2019. Not only are not only are they the only team in college football to open the season against four straight Power 5 opponents, but those four games also all come in successive weeks. The caveat is that the August 29th opener against Utah is on a Thursday night. The folks in Provo are going to love the home schedule. In addition to Utah, USC, in addition to Utah, USC, Washington, and Boise State, all of those come to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. I don't think there's anything you can quibble with. No, I think I mean BYU's schedule is amazing. It's amazingly difficult as well, but yes. it is an incredible schedule considering as an independent, you get four P5. Mm-hmm. Schools right off the bat, one from the SEC. Yeah, um, three Pac-12 schools. Correct. You also get three rivals technically mm-hmm. through the whole season: Utah, Boise State, and Utah State. You get San Diego State. So uh, USF, which has a name in college football, they're playing on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I think I can't really argue that they have an interesting schedule. And his his uh, thing there about it's going to be a wild ride either way. It is true. Yeah, uh, the the first four games absolutely are going to kind of be the litmus test for BYU. But you look beyond that, mm-hmm. you have a MAC favorite in Toledo. You have to go to Toledo after you face these four teams and just go face the, one of the best teams in the MAC. That the, the week after that, USF, Boise State comes to Provo, and San Diego State at the end of the yeah. year. They're looking to bounce back this year. This is a it is going to be a wild ride. BYU could have a great season and still be seven and five in my mind, and that's just because. Of the way the schedule lays out and the opponents they're facing, you could be seven and five and have had a good year. I think if you really look at look deep into it, like look, okay, they compete in each of these games, but they face some teams that are very very good, like Utah, Tennessee, USC, Washington. All four of them, no slouches. Yep. Yeah. So, totally agree. All right, couple other things here. Uh, toughest open to the season. And I've seen a bunch of people talk about this being USC's uh, slot because USC has BYU and Utah in their first six games. A lot of people think that Clay Helton will not survive that first game stretch with USC this season. He might not survive to the Utah game. Well, you know who they who Chris Lowe picked instead? BYU. Stanford. Stanford. Oh, okay. Pick the Cardinal, who actually USC plays in that stretch. Could you argue that he could have put BYU there too, and then just couldn't repeat them? Absolutely, I, I could. You could argue that. Yeah. He says Stanford plays six straight weeks to open the season before getting a bye, and three of those games are against teams in ESPN's preseason rankings. The Cardinal open with Northwestern at home on August 31st, then face USC and UCF on the road in back-to-back mm. weeks. Return home to face Oregon on September 21st. Play at Oregon State the next week, and then oh, just come back home and face Washington on uh, on October 5th. That is a pretty tough stretch. That is, and uh, we remember the last time Stanford had to go across the country, not all the way to Florida. Yes, but they but went they to Northwestern. They had yeah. to go time zones over, and it really derailed their entire season. It felt like. And well, that's the, I think people at this whole we want to play games at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Yeah. Take a look at that. I, th- I think David Shaw and everybody's like, uh, 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 do you guys remember when we went to Northwestern and played at 9 a.m. 
Pacific time, we slept through, walked through the game and lost 16 to 6. Right. And, and it ruined a season of a team that yeah. was very, very good. And uh, he also said at Pac 12 Media Day, uh, UCF wasn't this UCF when they scheduled him. Sure. That's a tough game to go all the way. I'm sure that was a Stanford, let's do this and uh, let's get our recruiting on in Florida. Fun story. I've been in UCF Stadium. And how was it? It was cool. I've never been to a game there. I just happened to be down in Florida. We drove over there. Stadium had the doors wide open, so I walked in and walked right on their field. What the heck? <laughs> Nobody stopped me. I walked I walked in, looked at the <laughs> stands. I was like, cool. No one said a word to you. Not a word. There, a gate was open to Did go to the field. Did you see anybody? There were a couple people working on stuff around the stadium. Nobody said a word. Just said it was cool, huh? Yeah. It's, it's a... It's a quaint little stadium. Oh, I think okay. I did a good job with it. But it was cool. I was kind of surprised that I was able to like pretty much walk to the 50-yard line and unopposed, essentially. Yeah, that but, is cool. Yeah. Anyways. All right. A couple other superlatives here that I wanted to get to in this. Uh, we'll get to a thing on Utah here in a minute. It comes from a Phil Still article on ESPN we need to talk about. But um, one other thing here. Uh, Power 5 shy is the, is the superlative here. And he says Wisconsin, or the Big Ten, gets this, quote, award for having the most teams not playing a Power 5 opponent or Notre Dame during the non-conference portion of their schedule. Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Wisconsin all fall into that category. Nice. Kind of surprising. Yeah. You would think that these teams have maybe bulked up their schedule a little bit. But a lot of those teams are teams that need to bulk up their schedule without they're trying to get wins. They need to get to a bowl game. Like Minnesota is not worried about making the Big Ten t- no. or Big Ten title game. Nope. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin probably is. Ohio State is. Yeah. But Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, yeah, not probably not so much. Okay. Power five shy on steroids. This was actually an even better one here. Arkansas, Ohio State, and Tennessee are the only three Power Five teams not playing any Power Five opponents or Notre Dame in their non-conference schedules and playing all of their non-conference schedules in their home stadiums. All right. Kudos to the ACC, though. All 14 ACC teams this year are playing at least one non-conference game against a Power Five school or Notre Dame. So props to the ACC in that regard. That is a conference that has been weak other than the – eventual champion so okay yeah. uh, a couple other things owning the sec and you're probably thinking okay who's owning the sec for the second straight season clemson has two non-conference games against sec foes a home game against texas a&m and south carolina on the road to finish out the season Dabo swinney is 13 and 5 against sec teams since the start of the 2012 season which includes five wins over south carolina three wins over auburn two wins over alabama in the national title game just Get that out of the way. Yep. And wins over Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. Wow. Clemson's, a, they're, no, they're no joke. Now, South Carolina has been down recently, but they were pretty good back they've been then. Good for, they've yeah. been good for some time here. All right, uh, a couple other things here. Uh, there's two Pac-12 teams I wanted to get to as well before we talk about Utah and close out this segment. Bright Lights of L.A. UCLA ventures outside of Los Angeles only twice during the months of October and November this coming season to face Stanford on October 17th and Utah on November 16th. The Bruins play at USC on November 23rd, but that game is at the Coliseum. So they're, sta- they're staying home. It's close to home yeah, for the final two months of the season. UCLA, by the way, I think they're a bowl team this year. Yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to be sneaky good. Yeah. And one final one here, unrivaled. Colorado will open the season with three consecutive games against in-state or traditional rivals, Colorado State and Denver, Nebraska in Boulder, and then Air Force in mm. Boulder. Mm. 
Thanks to some ACE research by Colorado's David Platty, who is their SID out there. Colorado's a great job. And his staff, there are only 13 other instances in which an FBS school has opened the season against two straight rivals since 1971 when 11-game schedules came into being. Platy and his crew could not find an instance of an FBS school opening with three straight rivals. Cool. This will be the first meeting between Colorado and Air Force since 1974. Very cool. I like that superlative. So these superlatives are actually yeah. co- quite a bit of fun. You've got things. There's one on for Oregon. There's some stuff for Miami. It's a fun article. Go read it. It's on uh, ESPN.com. I'll tweet out a link to it. One final note here for you here, Adrian, is I think all of us are aware that Phil Steele is very high on Utah. Yes. He has them number eight in his preseason rankings of the top 25, but he has Utah's defensive line as the best defensive line in the country. He wrote about it. He wrote, did wrote a story for ESPN. I'm going to read the part about Utah here. He has a number one. It says, The Utes continue to produce elite defensive lines as this position is the primary recruiting emphasis here. Would you disagree with that? No, I would not. Okay. This season is no different. As all four starters return after allowing just 100 yards per game on the ground, number five in FBS, while collecting 37 sacks. Defensive end Bradley Anai, who had eight sacks in 2018, and defensive tackles Lecky Fotu and John Penasini are either listed as first or second on my all-Pac-12 preseason team, with each player likely having a future in the NFL. And the funny thing is the one guy he doesn't mention along that defensive line is uh, only Mika Tufua, who yeah. is a great player in his own He'll right. probably be in the NFL as well. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the only people who can argue that are Alabama and Clemson fans, and they'll go to their graves by saying that they're the best. But that's what fans do. Mm-hmm. So. so some fun stuff. There. Yeah, I, I, that's some really interesting stuff there, Jake. Yeah, I, I, I like the Colorado thing. That's that kind of fun. That was the most intriguing thing. I read it, I'm like, that's very interesting. I know that. Air Force, okay, they're probably thinking, but it is, it's a regional rival. It's a right. team in your state. So. Like Utah or BYU or Utah State could do that technically, but then they would have to play Weber, and it wouldn't yeah. be an FBS rival. For, B- be- for BYU, it would kind of be like, okay, let's say you open the season at, U- uh, at Utah or home to Utah, face Utah State, and then Boise State. That would right. probably be the closest to it. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right, interesting stuff. Uh, coming up on the other side, hopefully we're back on the air, and also hopefully – uh, we'll get five minutes of good soccer talk from Jake Hatch. That's all coming up next here on the Saturday Nation. Welcome back to Saturday Show here on the Zone Sports Network. Little Blink 182 on your Saturday. Blink 182 from the all-time. Yep. Uh, Alex actually saw Blink-182 a couple weeks ago, so that's pretty cool. Let's get to five minutes of soccer here on the show, as Jake, you will tell us what's going on with RSL and other things. Uh, I saw yeah. Alex Morgan's planning on playing in the next World Cup. She says she's going to go for another four years, that's she said, awesome. and wants to gun for another World Cup title, make it three in a row potentially. That would the, be fascinating. So. They'll have a new coach. as uh, yeah. um, Jill Ellis, Jill is, Ellis stepping. is stepping down. It's not surprising. No, but... Congratulations to her on an amazing career there with the USA soccer team. Yeah, uh, it's kind of surprising in that regard, but yep. we'll see how it shakes out there. But, yes, uh, some interesting news coming out from RSL this week. Of course, oh, Mike yes. Pecky uh, facing a three-match suspension, a $25,000 fine. He's been suspended from all club activities for two weeks without pay. 
uh, anger management, anger management, sensitivity, sensitivity training, sensitivity training, which yeah. leads me to believe he said some things he regrets. Oh, he did. Yeah, I can tell you that much. Yeah, you can. can. Okay. It, and the thing is, a lot of people think this only happened on the field, like, but this continued on into the like the post game, like in the back area, like in the halls of Rio Tinto Stadium. I will have to ask you off the air what he said. Yeah, it was just. It, let's put it this way. Mike Pecky, I understand there's some people that are saying, well, he he needs to resign or be fired. I understand that whole segment of this conversation. I also understand the segment of, well, this guy, every July since he's been the head coach of RSL, has been suspended in the month of July for some <laughs> in some form or fashion. And as DJ made the joke earlier good this or week. bad? Uh, in some ways bad, in You're some right, ways mostly good. Mostly bad, I would say. As DJ says, well, it's not summer until we get a Mike Pecky suspension, apparently, right. around these parts. I'm hopeful that Mike Pecky learns from what happened during this whole thing. And of course, this happened during the League's Cup. It was a, a new competition created between uh, Liga MX and MLS. And he had some very harsh words for the officiating after the game. Got a red card. He's now been suspended for three matches. He'll miss tonight's match. will be the second match he's suspended for as they face off against New York City FC at Rio Tinto Stadium. If you're looking for something fun to do on a hot summer night, Go to Rio Tinto Stadium and enjoy some soccer. It's a, it's a great. Yeah, I mean, if we have the opportunity to do things outdoors at nights around here, we should do it. Score. Go yeah. to bo- bees ball games. Go to soccer games. You know, uh, there's uh, it's. Don't waste it. You we all complain through the winter. Yeah. And then when you have summer, you stay inside. Nah, 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 nah. So we'll see how it goes for RSL tonight. New York City FC is actually a decent team on the road, but they are coming cross country to elevation, and it's hot. The, uh, there's, it, it's dry out there, so the the elevation factor should play more of a role tonight, I think. Yeah. Because also one other thing about New York City FC, Adrian, they play on the smallest field in in MLS. They play inside New York uh, Yankee Stadium, and they call it a postage stamp in terms of what their field looks like versus normal soccer fields. Yeah. So RSL should have the ability to go to uh, get these get this team that's created. New York City FC has been built to play on the New York on that in that New York Yankee Stadium. They don't like to play wide, so hopefully RSL can go after him. But the overarching thing is hopefully Mike Pecky learned from the situation that he put himself in this go round. But how many times is he going to learn it? How many J- July suspensions is it going to take? And that's the thing. And it, it, it's an interesting situation for me. I completely understand both sides. With some people saying that the suspension is just fine, whatever. Send him to anger management. Send him to sensitivity training. And I understand the other side of it. The people say that he's embarrassed this club and he needs to resign or be forced out. I also understand that segment of it. I tend to think that you're, he's probably on his final strike this go around because this one, this one goes beyond the other ones he had. Because other ones, normally he was talking to the media about the officiating and whatnot. This time he went personal at an official on the field of play after the match, and also it continued up into the locker room area. Hmm. It just it went too far. He crossed the line this time. So I I don't know what if there's a perfect answer for it. I think this is probably his final strike. If something else were to happen, he probably is getting yeah. And they're not fired. Even, and like they're not really close to. They're in the playoff mix, but they're yeah. they're not necessarily a top level team. Yeah. So that's the other issue with all of this. So interesting situation all the way around. No perfect answer for it. But should be a fun match tonight. New York City FC in the house at Rio Tinto Stadium, 8 o'clock Mountain Time. Weather should be phenomenal. So if you're looking for something to do on a, on a Saturday night here in Salt Lake City, and that's not to say you can't even go to the Bees here. They're, right. they're at home as well. And they're right across, they're essentially across the street from us, it feels like. They're right there on 13th South. So 
Should be a fun night of sports, but if you want to watch something here locally, you got two options at least tonight. Definitely. All right, coming up on the other side, speaking of local sports, Jake caught up with a couple of players down at BYU. Also, Jeff Grimes had a lot of interesting things to say. We'll get to that coming up next here on the Saturday Show.